Next on Way of Grace with Pastor Jesse Gastan. David is not negotiating with God that if God gives him a little time, he will change his life and thus start gradually erasing the sin from the ledger bit by bit by bit. He's not saying to God, if you give me time, I'll, ch- I'll change my life, oh God. I'll, I'll stop doing what I'm doing. I'll clean up my act. Why? Because David understood that it's impossible by human nature to remove even one sin. Welcome once again to Way of Grace with Pastor Jessica Stan. Jesse serves as our pastor here at Grace Bible Church in Hayward. Hey, are you old enough to remember the peace movement of the 1960s? Opposition to the Vietnam War caused an uprising of sorts. Thousands of people marched, demanding peace. The fact is, there never will be a lasting peace on earth until the Lord returns to reign. But in the meantime, we can have peace in our own hearts through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Here's Pastor Jesse in Acts chapter 3. Jeremiah chapter 18. Because God is upset with Israel, isn't he? It's, It's bad when God's talking to you like this. Now I want you to hear what God says. Here's what he says over in chapter 18. It's just one chapter over, right? Now this is the chapter in chapter 18 where God says, I'm sovereign. And I want you to know I'm sovereign. I, I make vessels of honor and I make vessels of dishonor. I'm sovereign. That's chapter 18. This is what he told Jeremiah. Jeremiah, go down to the potter's house. I want you to see how the potter makes a vessel of honor and a vessel of destruction at his will. So I do. Let Israel know that it, they don't have a one-upsman on me. I do whatever I want to do. This is what God is saying. Because he's upset with Israel. And by the way, if you just want the hair on the back of your head to stand up, go back to chapter 15. And let chapter 15 blow you away. God is angry at these people. Chapter 15 is just amazing. But you'll have a little bit of that here in chapter 18, verse 22. In fact, Let me see if I can start at verse 24, uh, 21. Therefore, deliver up their children to the famine and pour out their blood by the force of the sword and let their wives be bereaved of their children and be widows and let their men be put to death. Let their young men be slain by the sword in battle. Who's talking? The prophet. By whom is the prophet speaking? God. Now, just in case you don't know, this is what we call covenant language you ladies who are learning biblical theology you understand that the framework with which God operates is what and God never talks outside of covenant principles that means when you hear language that's strange to you ask God to help you find what covenant that's coming out of because that's coming out of a covenant this language is coming out of Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy chapter 32 okay In Leviticus 26, this is the language that God said he would do. He would give the children of Israel over to the famine. He would give them over to the sword. He would give them over to the beast of the field. He would give them over to the heathen, to the nations when they sinned against him. And so this is why you hear him talking about letting their children be uh, bereaved and them being given over to the sword. This here is covenant 
language where God is cursing them because they have rejected him. So it's not God simply being arbitrary and God just simply being mad and upset. God has after, in this context, after almost 800 years, finally begins to judge the nation. They've gone 800 years in the land of promise, rebelling against God, and God now is talking like he promised he would talk back in the covenant language. Are you guys hearing what I'm saying? So here, the covenant contract is drawn up in the wilderness in the days of Moses. And the children of Israel said, we will do whatever the Lord says do. Okay, the contract is signed because a contract is an agreement of promises with blessings and conditions, good or bad, between two parties with the possibility of many more benefiting from it. Is that right? That's what a contract is. So that contract was drawn up in the wilderness, 1500 B.C. Now we are at about 700 B.C., which is 800 years later, and the curse of the covenant is coming upon the people. Are you guys hearing me? So what all the people are hearing is what they had rejected when the law had already said, this is what will happen. If you reject me, I will reject you. If you turn from me, I will turn from you. If you disregard my, disregard my law and my prophets, I will cause your heavens to turn into brass. I will cause you to run in seven directions by one man. I will cause your ground to turn into dust. I will destroy the fruit of your land. I will destroy the fruit of your womb. I will bring nations in to destroy you. You guys understand what I'm getting at? Now, that's the covenant language that came to pass literally through the Assyrians and the Egyptians and the Babylonians and the Medo-Persians and the Grecians and finally the Romans. That's the covenant curse of the law. That's why anybody who wants to be under the covenant curse of the law is a fool. You've got to be an absolute fool. If Israel couldn't make it, you can't make it. And so he goes on using the language over in verse uh, 21, 22. Let a cry be heard from their houses when you shall bring a troop suddenly upon them, for they have digged a pit to take me and hid snares from my feet. Now, who's talking? Jeremiah. What were the people seeking to do? Destroy the prophet. For whom? Uh, Through whom was the prophet speaking? God. See, when they rejected Jeremiah, they were rejecting whom? That's right. This is why the Holy Ghost is speaking through Jeremiah this way. Now listen to verse 23. This is our point. Yet, Lord, thou knowest all their counsel against me to slay me. Now watch this. Forgive not their what? Neither blot out their sin. From thy sight, but let them be overthrown before thee. Deal thus with them in the time of thy what? Jeremiah, like all the prophets, spake by the Spirit of Christ. Didn't he? Jeremiah, like all the prophets, spake by the Spirit of Christ. This is sound biblical hermeneutics. First Peter chapter 1, verse, verse 10. All the prophets prophesied of the sufferings, and the glory of Christ. Jeremiah is a weeping prophet because he's suffering for Christ's sake at the hands of the people. Y'all get that? And what you hear coming out of the mouth of Jeremiah is the spirit of Christ. And you can carry this over into Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you can hear Jesus saying to the Father, they are seeking to slay me. They are seeking to destroy me. A man who has done them no wrong. For my love have they hated me. Are you guys hearing what I'm saying? 
And so this is the spirit of Christ. And what's remarkable is that right now in the book of Acts, where our context is, Christ is through his apostles pleading to them to receive the forgiveness of sins on the basis of his shed blood, as we shall see, so that their sins can be what? Blotted out. Blotted out. The people in Acts chapter 2 in the year A.D. 35, this is about A.D. 35, are the sons of the people in the days of Jeremiah when they were ready to kill Jeremiah and kill Isaiah and kill Elijah and kill the rest of the prophets. This is why Jesus said when he was here, you are the children of the prophets and, uh, and as your fathers did to the prophets, so you shall do to me. And what's wonderful about the Acts account, as I told you before, is Israel is under a probationary period right now where God is offering them the gospel. Are you hearing me? They are hearing the overtures of forgiveness available by repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. I'm not going to tell you the end of the story, but you can already expect it and follow it through. And you can you can already anticipate what they are going to do with the proposition. Notice what he says, and then we'll go on. Yet, Lord, thou knowest all their counsel against me to slay me. Forgive not their iniquity, neither blot out their sin from their sight, but let them be overthrown before thee. Deal thus with them in the time of thine what? Now, God's anger is always a covenant anger. Just like God's love is covenant love. That means God does not act in emotionalism, like you and I do. You know how when we get angry, we get angry out of emotions. Oh, we, 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 get, we get ticked off. Well, God's anger is rooted in covenant. That means God is patient and disciplined and structured and timely, where when he does finally vent his wrath, it's because they have violated the laws that led up to a just response on God's part against them according to the covenant terms. Now he's being covenantal because they signed that contract. They signed a contract with a holy God. And God said, now I'm telling you now, I will bless you. You got to trust me. But if you don't trust me, there's another side to me that you don't know. I remember years ago, I worked with a Muslim cat. His name was Haji. Some of you have heard this story years ago, but I'll just share it as a little break before we go back to our text. And this was when we were dealing with uh, our recession back in the 80s. We had a real difficult time. I think it was under um, Jimmy Carter. I'm pretty sure it was during that time where I had a difficulty with economics and people were having a hard time finding work. And I was a mechanic and uh, I couldn't find a job in one of the major uh, dealerships because they were just cutting down. So I started walking around looking for work and I found a body shop up in East Oakland off of Foothill Boulevard. Um, and I went in and the guy uh, had a sign up that he needed a mechanic. And I told him I was a mechanic. And uh, we, we talked and we negotiated the price. And uh, I told him that I was a Christian. He says, OK, I'm a Muslim. And he says, you know, uh, we can work together. I've had Christians work and everything. We're, we're good. But he said to me, I want to let you know one thing. And I said, what? He says, I'm generally a nice guy. He says, but I also have a dragon face, a dragon face. And I didn't know what he meant by that. He says, I'm generally a nice guy, but there's a dragon that comes out. And I just want you to know that, that if, if things kind of go wrong and you do something that I don't like, you're going to see the dragon. 
Now, I was a young man at that time, and I guess God wanted to teach me, you know, what a dragon looked like. (laughs) Believe you me, when our paths crossed, the dragon came out. And it was remarkable to me. He was as nice and kind as could be, but when he was crossed or he perceived that he was crossed, he was as vile and vain and, 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 and just hostile. The dragon came out. But you know what? I had agreed to it. Right? I had agreed to it. So I had to learn to deal with the dragon. Israel is learning how to deal with the dragon. You got it? Israel is dealing with the dragon. See, Haji told me he had a dragon. He didn't, he didn't do like people who, you know, who, who, who are in situations where they get involved with people and don't really know the full person. Because virtually everybody got a little bit of a dragon. You do know that, right? Everybody got a little dragon. Little, some little dragon. Little, little salamander or something, right? If, if not a dragon, a little salamander, right? <laughs> All right, I'll leave that alone. There is forgiveness with God, though. And sins can be blotted out. Go to Isaiah chapter 43, 25. Isaiah 43, 25. There's forgiveness with God. And sins can be blotted out. And God himself takes delight in blotting out sins. Listen to what God says in verse 25. Are you there? I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions. Do you see that? For my own sake do I do it. And I will not remember your sins. Isn't that a covenant blessing? But the language here is covenant too, right? It's new covenant being declared in the old covenant that God will be this way to us, not because of us, but for his own name's sake. Now, who blots out sin? God does. Now, you know who knows that God blots out sin? Every true believer. Remember what David said in Psalm 51, verse 1? Listen to what he says in Psalm 51, verse 1. This is David who had messed up He understood covenant principles. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, what? Blot out my transgressions. Do you see it? Then he said it again, I think, over in verse 9, the same thing. Psalm 51, verse 9, listen to what he says. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. So you know what David is doing? David is not negotiating with God that if God gives him a little time, he will change his life and thus start gradually erasing the sin from the ledger bit by bit by bit. He's not saying to God, if you give me time, I'll I'll change my life. Oh, God, I'll, I'll stop doing what I'm doing. I'll clean up my act. I'll do a bunch of good works to get right with you. Why? Because David understood that it's impossible by human nature to remove even one sin. David understood that you can't commit a sin and then have the power to undo that sin. That the wages of sin is what? If it is death, then in order for me to adequately remove a sin, death must take place which now destroys my capacity and even my motive for removing sin. For if I'm going to remove sin by dying, 
Well, if I die, I'm dead, right? So I'm in trouble because if I attempt to put away my sins, I kill myself. And if I leave my sins alone, I'm still going to die. My only hope is someone who is bigger than death, who can stand in my place and deal with the consequences and cause me to live. This is why the idea of the blotting out of sins is a divine act alone. And this is why Colossians chapter uh, 2 verse 14 tells us that when Christ died on Calvary's tree, by his death on Calvary's tree, he blotted out. He blotted out. Listen to what it says. Blotting out the handwriting of what? That word ordinances is the law of God. The handwriting of God's law. By the death of Christ, he blotted out the handwriting of ordinances that was for us, against us, which was what? Contrary to us. And he took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Do you see that? So God is the one who does it. He did it by the death of Christ because only a God man could deal with our sin and not destroy us. This is why Peter could bring forth the proposition, repent, be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. You guys understand what I'm saying? Repent, be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. Now go back to our text. He wants to deal with another analogy that's quite um, important in relationship to this. So we see that the blotting out of sins is a divine work because our sins are written indelibly on our heart and on the law of God. So that on the last day, when God pulls up his law sheet and pulls up our conscience, every mouth may be stopped and the whole world will become guilty before God. You know how people think they have you ever been to court before traffic court? How many of y'all been to traffic court? Good, a good 85%. Have you, ever, have you ever sat in traffic court and, and, and just marveled at how folks try to go up to the judge and try to persuade the judge that they're not guilty of the crime? And the judge got all the information right in front of them? Have you ever seen that? You just go, does this person have any sense? Don't they realize that the only thing you can do when that judge got all the evidence in front of you is beg for mercy? <laughs> I don't go there much. But I've gone there from time to time, like everyone else, as we're going to learn on Saturday, one of the reasons why, unless you learn how to manage your money, the way the system is set up and structured, the way the system is set up and structured, is designed to take everyone's money who is lazy and slothful and careless. Not only in terms of taxes, not only in terms of inflation, not only in terms of you buying into everybody else's business by being a consumer, but by the infractions of all kinds of laws everywhere. Have you noticed? You don't even have to leave your house to get a ticket. I love burning wood. I love burning wood. It seems like every two or three days they're telling me I can't burn wood. And if you burn wood and we see the smoke, we're going to send you a fine. They can actually get money from me while I'm sitting in my house. Are you guys hearing me? This is why you have to be so diligent about how to handle your money. You can't be lazy in a culture that's 
taxing people to death. You can't be lazy about that. And so uh, Acts chapter 3, verse uh, 19, we move to another metaphor. After he deals with the blotting out principle, the offer of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, which blots out our sins, he goes on to say, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Do you see that? When the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. That's difficult language. That's not easy language. Unless you already know what that means. Somebody tell me what that means. Times of refreshing. Let me see. Let me see if you know. Because I know know what we do. We rejoice in Bible statements. But we don't have no idea what they mean. Man, that's beautiful, Lord. That's a beautiful text. What does it mean? I don't know. Times of refreshing when they come from the Lord. So someone give me a shot at times of refreshing when they come from the Lord. Because now we have compounded metaphors. And the two metaphors here now have nothing to do with each other. One is the legal act of blotting out indelible sin written on stone, which is an oxymoron. And you're blotting it out with the blood of the God man. You see how these metaphors are are, uh, on a human level, irrational? That's the nature of scripture when it comes to revelation. You have to be careful to understand God compounds metaphors for the purpose of causing you and I to realize that what God does, only God can do. They are not rational or reasonable to us because they're impossible. It's impossible to remove indelibly written uh, uh, statements of condemnation concerning your sin on stone by blood. But God can do it. So now we're moving to another one. You think you got a shot at it, Barry? Let's see. That's Isaiah chapter 35. It's close. It's, I think that's pretty close. I think it means I think we're in the getting in the ballpark. So what Brother Barry is getting at when he thinks about refreshing. What he's thinking about is the parched ground of the dry, famished soul of the man or the woman who has been out of fellowship with God so long that they are weary, that they're worn, that they're tired, that they're dry, and they need to be refreshed. Doesn't that sound good? It may not be true, but I'm doing a good job. Am I doing a good job? It may not be true. I'm just working with Brother Barry's analogy here that I'm thinking that's what he's saying. Is that what you're saying, brother? And so the the analogy of the H2O coming down upon the the soil of the heart, when the heart is parched, it can receive that H2O and begin to experience moisture and refreshing. I agree with him. Do you agree with him? We could be all wrong, but it just sounds good, doesn't it? That's not how you actually do exegetical Bible study by just jumping at it. But I will say this. It's true in part what he's saying. It's true in part what he's saying. The Apostle Paul used this term uh, refreshed a few times in the New Testament. He used it uh, in the uh, book of Timothy when he talked about how Titus refreshed him. How Titus refreshed him. Second Timothy chapter one, verse 16. Listen to how he says this. And I just want you to hear it because this actually will get into the character of the believer in their exhortation and, uh, and, uh, and, and, and uh, influence. Second Timothy 1.16, their exhortation and influence in the life of the people of God. Let's see if we can make this good. We've got about 30 minutes. Listen to this. I'm going to start back at, um, at verse 13. Hold fast 
the form of sound words, which you have heard of me in faith and in love, which is in Christ Jesus, Timothy. That good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwells in us. That good thing is the gospel, okay? Well, you have been listening to Way of Grace with Pastor Jessica Stand from Grace Bible Church here in Hayward. If you have questions or comments about the program, maybe you would like to learn more about us here at Grace Bible Church in Hayward. Reach out to us by simply calling 510-886-9782, or you can visit our website, grace-bible.com. That's grace-bible.com. Sunday services here at the church are 1030 in the morning. Friday evening is our Friday evening Bible study at 6.30. And man, we've got friends of the ministry from all over the Bay Area who join us for this Friday night Bible study. It is an amazing time of God's Word and sweet fellowship in Christ. 6.30 in the evening Tuesdays, our prayer time and a short Bible study as well. These meetings, again, the directions and information of which you can find at our website, grace Bible. or by calling 510-886-9782. This program continues to air here on this radio station and on the World Wide Web because you partner with us financially and prayerfully. Thank you for your support. No gift is too small. No gift is too large. And you can either give on a monthly basis or it's a one-time gift. It is all tax deductible, and again, the biggest part of your partnership with us is that we get to continue ministering the gospel of grace here in the Bay Area and all over the world. Consider that as you contact us and join us again next time for another broadcast of Way of Grace with Pastor Jessica Stan.